Welcome to The Daily Sales Show, hosted by Sell Better. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Daily Sales Show. I am so excited. If you are a frequent attendee, welcome in. And if you are a new friend of ours, we put on a daily sales show for free, focused on all things sales. You can check us out by scanning that QR code that's up on your screen or going to sellbetter.xyz. Quick shout out to our fantastic partner in Zoom Info. I actually, if you haven't checked out Zoom Info before, um, we're going to stick a link in the chat here for you that has access to a free trial so you can check them out. They are fantastic data providers and more. Um, today's show, hold outbound sequences. I think, you know, there's a lot of people in here who know Jed Marley, but if you don't, today is your lucky day. Jed joined us a couple of weeks ago to talk about uh, your outbound sequence, and we got so many requests to dive in just a little bit deeper. So Jed is here. Welcome, Jed. Hey, everyone. How's it going? So it was nice. A nice little wave. Um, I want to quickly do a poll before we get started just to see who's in the room. And this is like a quick show today here. So while we're doing that, I'll give you the quick version of today's agenda. Jed is going to show us his framework, talk about why it's working, um, give us some peeks into specific emails that he's using, and then talk about data Anything I missed, Jed? No, that's it. Yeah. I mean, ton of stuff. And then we also have a free, oh, well, I guess, I don't know if you want to launch or, uh, you know, announce it, but we have the course that just dropped to sell better, which I'm excited to give to everybody. So we'll be doing a deep dive today. But then if you want more in-depth resources, we'll have the course as well. Uh, yeah. You guys, Jed's new course, all on Outbound. And for registering today, there's a sneak, I don't know, are we giving the sneak preview now of what they get in their email or do we wait? Uh, maybe I just spoiled it. So maybe we <laughs> give it. Okay. What's the free giveaway, Jed? Yeah, for sure. So, um, I just launched the free course with sell better that came out today, uh, how to craft an outbound sequence from scratch in under 15 minutes. And if you sign up today using the link, uh, which is uh, going to be in the chat already in the chat, you will get a follow-up resource with seven of my top email templates that I use for seven different email scenarios or sales scenarios. Um, so super excited about that. So you'll get two Bonuses completely free if you sign up uh, today. Whoop, whoop. Um, and Maria, do you mind dropping the link for Jed's course in the chat? I want to give a heads up. Yeah, we can, um, for those of you who have already signed up, either through Jed's newsletter or you've got a secret special link, we will definitely get you access. Um, make sure you switch your chat on the bottom there's a little blue bubble make sure you switch your chat to everyone so that everyone can see all of your questions comments thoughts wonderful ideas as we jump in and let's just dive in let's get started um my screen is looking something special but we're gonna share it's not too it's not too wild i think it still will make sense here jed kind of walk us through um, what this looks like for those people who didn't join us a couple weeks ago when you first shared your strategy here. Yeah, for sure. So I think um, one of the first things you have to do before you start building out a sequence is actually the outline in your overall strategy of how you're going to do it. 
Um, I don't think there's necessarily like a one size fits all. I've seen a lot of different examples of how people do it. This is what has worked best for me. Um, but I'll break down real quick that we can kind of go in more depth. So um, I think one of the most important steps is day one, your research, right? So you're going through and you're finding, I've talked about this in other shows and other examples, and we'll probably get into this later. Um, but the first thing I'm doing when I'm going through that research step is verifying a few things. So verifying that the contact I pulled, because the number one most important part of a sequence is the data you put into it, is that the contact you pulled is a good prospect, ICP, you have a good email for them, all of that. And then you're also researching top triggers that you're going to frame your uh, messaging around. So we talked a lot about buying triggers, but what I'll do is I have a, a quick like personalization checklist. So I'll go to their LinkedIn profile, go to the company, do some research, drop that in my sales engagement tool. Uh, and then I'm moving on to the next step, which is the LinkedIn invitation. I like to send a LinkedIn message and an email before I make the first call because I want them to be a bit more familiar with me. Because when I'm calling, I'm typically calling saying, hey, calling about that email I sent you or that LinkedIn message is the name sound familiar, right? So I want to build some some level of familiarity. Uh, my LinkedIn message is, is pretty much the same every time. I'm a fan of sending a note in the connection request. I pretty much always say like, hey, Leslie, um, sending over an email shortly. The subject line is XYZ. Let me know your thoughts once you get a chance to take a look at it. Um, and then the sequence is built up into two threads, right? And so if you're listening to this right now, I want you to think about what are the top one to three problems I solve for my buyers. Those top problems are going to be the two threads that you're, that you're focused on. And so you're kind of building a story through those threads. So the first email is what I call the value email, which is where I'm doing any of the personalization. I'm talking about the value proposition and the call to action. The second email is typically something that sounds like, hey, for more context, here's a visual of how we solve this problem. Um, and I can share examples of that as well, but it's essentially just giving more context to the initial problem. And then the third bumped email in that thread is typically either something like, hey, would it make more sense to speak with uh, somebody else in the company, name drop their name, or um, it's typically something like that, or just like a quick, maybe a link to a case study, just kind of following on that same thing. And then the rest of it is pretty much the same. It's following that same pattern. A um, few things I will mention is that on this uh, this day nine step, check for engagement. That's after the first thread has gone through. So we've sent two LinkedIn messages, made three calls, sent three emails. If they're not engaging at all, that means they haven't opened a single email or you call them and it just goes to voicemail every time. Uh, I am removing that prospect because I don't want to waste any more energy on a prospect who is not engaging and I will replace them with somebody else from the company. I think that's a really important manual step that everybody should have halfway through their sequence. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much the high level breakdown, Leslie, we can j jump into more details, but that's, that's essentially what I'm doing. I want to hear because you have it marked as like a bump email on here. And I think when I hear bump email, I think of something very different than what you're explaining. So I'd like to dig in just a little bit. Like when I hear bump, I'm like, I, I, in my brain, it's like, uh, Hey, just bringing this back to the top of your inbox or something like that. Yes. No. What, what's your thoughts there? Yes. So I will say there was a time where I feel like that worked pretty well. And this is the, the, in, the, the case of uh, sales tactics, right? Because like they'll work for three to six months. Everybody uses them and they stop working. Yeah, it's a continuous cycle. Exactly. <laughs> and so uh, there was a time where I was sending thoughts and that would work. I didn't, and I will stamp my name on that. That worked really well in like 2021. Uh, I, um, I don't really see it working as much anymore. And, and one of my biggest themes, I just made a video about this on LinkedIn, is what is your actual offer in your outbound sequence? And I think this is something that doesn't get talked about a lot. Mm. And oh, and, and trust me, I'll get around. I'm answering the question kind of in a longer way. Uh, but one thing, and maybe I'll throw this to the chat. Um, drop a one in the chat if your offer is to jump on a call with you or a demo, or drop a two in the chat if you have something a little bit more creative, right? And when I say more creative, I mean, 
you're offering some sort of free access to your platform, you're offering some sort of consultation, you're giving some sort of valuable resource. I think that's the thing that we have to shift to because email is such a scalable channel. Everybody's getting inundated. And so to stand out, we have to have something more unique than, hey, would you be open to jumping on a call? Would you be open to learning more? And so to answer your question, Leslie, about bump emails, what I try to do is if my first email talked about, um, let's just say this is something sell better related. Somebody's trying to sell sell better. So my first email talked about, hey, I see you run a daily show. Um, you know, ha- I have an idea for how you, you can get more people to show up to your show and engage, things of that nature. The bump email might be, hey, here's a free PDF we put together on like the top five things you need to do to have a engaging webinar with no ask, right? And so like you would see that, Leslie, you'd be like, this is super valuable. And then when I follow up again two days later and say, hey, would you be open to jumping on a call to talk about how we can do maybe a webinar consultation? Um, then maybe you're open to learning more because you've built that trust. And so the whole idea is like, give first before you ask, find ways to, or a good question I like to ask myself is, if I were to start charging for my demos, what would I do differently? And this is an example of that. Like everybody who is a salesperson has experience in something. You guys have knowledge that most people don't have in your product, in your area, in your field. Um, figure out ways you can help people solve the problem for free by giving out advice, giving resources, and they will want to learn more from you. And so that's like, I, I know I went on a long tangent, but that's the whole no. philosophy of how I think about a sequence is like, what am I actually offering? And would the person on the other end actually want to respond to this and, and take the call? So really quick to Kimberly's point in the chat, it's not necessarily that you have to give a full service for free. It could be a PDF with like good information or strategy or something around like uh, specific to their role or to their industry or whatever it is. Exactly. Yeah. You don't have to give your software away for free, but like, um, I'll give you another example. There's a company, uh, my friend Lou Groffing works there. It's called Reveal. It's a partnership software. Um, uh, I, I don't know if they can give their platform away for free, but basically what the partnership software does is it helps you have, you know, better partnerships and, and better connection within your partners. So like what they can do is, hey, do you want to jump on a call? We can share some some thoughts on how to run successful partnerships. I can introduce you to people on my network. And so like, because he's a salesperson there that has an experience with partnerships, he can give that advice as a consultation almost, and then transition that into talking about his software. Awesome. Um, if questions come up, I know we're moving fast. If you could throw them into that Q&A down in the bottom so that we don't miss them, that would be primo fabulous. Jed, I know you briefly touched on this, but I want to bring this up on the screen here. Um, tell us a little bit more. You you started on this reveal piece. Talk yeah. to us about like this goes into your research. What do you do with this information? How do you use this kind of framework process? Yeah, so I just picked Reveal as an example um, because I talk about MailShake all the time. And if you've been on my shows, you're probably tired of hearing me talk about the same MailShake examples. So I picked a new company. Um, so yeah, mastering your offer Basically, what this comes down to is uh, you need to figure out like what your ICP cares about, right? What are the top problems they're trying to solve? Where are they going for information? Who are they learning from? And so I'm using the company Reveal. It's a partnership software. The main problem they solve is low win rates and lack of pipeline by helping you facilitate intros and referrals to your partner network. So if I were a salesperson at Reveal, this is what I would do. First, I would figure out what my ICP cares about. So for example, they might care about how they can leverage their partner network to get more referrals, uh, the best partnership thought leaders to follow. Uh, latest data on partner-led growth, how to get more partners, things of that nature, right? It's, it's pretty simple. You can ask yourself these own your own questions uh, for your company. The second thing I would do is I would find contra- content that addresses each one of those examples. So if we take uh, number four, for example, the latest data on partner-led growth, 
um, there is like, maybe I find a report and I've actually done this. So there's a report from HubSpot, for example, on um, basically they interviewed a bunch of executives on how they're doing partner-led growth. If you're, you know, emailing an executive about partnership software, that's a really valuable um, piece of content you can use. And Leslie, I think we have an email example potentially in the next slide, or I can show yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, but essentially, you want to gather these valuable pieces of content, uh, and you can find more content too by like talking to your account management team, talking to your customer success team, because they're talking to customers every day. Get an understanding of what they care about, where they're going for content, uh, and start compiling these resources. If you're an SDR, you know how to be a detective. Start doing some googling. Um, find this information. One quick tip I'll share too is uh, if you are sending resources to people, two things. Don't just send it in the email. Say, if this sounds interesting, can I can I share it with you? Because then they have to respond. And the second piece is don't share links because links feel very transactional. What you should do is if you find a helpful article, download it as a PDF and then share the PDF because PDFs feel a little bit more important. Uh, they feel a little bit more like, oh, this is something a little bit more valuable rather than a link. Uh, but anyways, this is an example of an email template I could send where I have a more focused offer. So uh, subject line is partner-led growth in 2023. Uh, opening line is, hey, looks like you lead the partnership team at company, first name. Found this report from HubSpot that I thought you'd enjoy. They surveyed eight executives from companies like Zapier and SEMrush to get their perspective on partner-led growth in 2023. Uh, is this a big focus of yours? Or I could change the call to action to want me to share it with you. And so this is an example of what a lot of my emails look like in our sequence. Um, and again, you're cutting through the noise because you're not just asking for a call, asking for time. You're providing value. Yeah. Flipping their name to the end of the first line, is that strategy there? Do you go back and forth on that? Do you use it frequently? Yeah. Yeah. We talked about that with Charlie too. I think it still works fine with me. I mean- I do too. I love it. You're, yeah. Your whole goal with your preview line when you're writing an email is uh, by yourself- an extra 10 seconds, right? So your subject line buys you half a second for them to maybe read your preview text. Your preview text buys you an extra three seconds for them to read your value prop. Your value prop buys you an extra five, 10 seconds for them to read your call to action. So that's the whole goal of copywriting, right? Get them to read the next line. And so if you start by doing something they're not used to seeing, you might buy yourself that extra few seconds. Yeah. And um, anything, so like bump emails, when you're saying bump on that first overview and I can pull that back up. I got a couple notes here. So I'm going to go back to that one more time. Yep. Um, when we're talking about bump emails, it's potentially a resource email or bringing them something of value, not just thoughts or not just, hey, bubbling this back up. You're giving them something in return, some sort of resource. Yeah. It's either, um, I guess to add more clarity, Leslie, it's either like, yeah, resource or more context to the initial email. So we just explained resource Another example of a bump email everyone here can send is if your initial email talks about a problem you solve, add more context to how you solve that problem. So like, let me take a step back. I say, I, I share that we, we can help them solve this problem. I don't exactly give them the details of how our product does it. But maybe in that second email, I share with them a quick video or an image uh, of my software in terms of how we solve that problem. And the email might look like, hey, for more context, here's a visual of how we actually do this. Do you think this could help? And so bump emails are providing more context to how you solve the problem or providing resources around the problem. Okay, I've seen a couple people ask about call to actions at the end of email. Anything, do you follow a rule or a framework that you use for your call to action? I don't have like any secret sauce in terms of like a framework that works specific, but what I like to do is roughly half of the emails have like no call to action for the most part. Okay. Uh, be a little bit less than half. 
So a lot of them are just like, here's the resource and that's it. I'm more like, here's more context. Uh, and then the other half are either like, do you think this could help? Would you be open to learning more? Do you mind if I share a one minute video to explain how it works? There's another call to action that's worked really well. Um, do you want me to send over, you know, XYZ resource? So those are like five different call to actions I use. And the rest are just resources with no call to action. Because again, if you're providing value, you're building trust, eventually they will come to you. And my opinion is that like, if it's valuable enough, they will ask you for more. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, that's like the dream response from somebody, right? Exactly. Yeah. Thanks so much, Chad. Can you give me more? Can we book a call? <laughs> well, you'd be surprised at how much it happens. It's great. Iterating on your offer, right? The first time it might not work, but you keep iterating, talking to customers, talking to your internal customer team that's actually speaking with them and, and get this information and you can build something out like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, the best cold call response, the best cold email response is them asking. I love it. Okay. I, you and I have talked a lot about data in the past, and I think that this is something where um, a lot of people get stuck in terms of trying to figure out how to better and improve their outbound strategy. Um, you put together kind of this order for us. Can you walk us through what this looks like? Talk us through this when we're looking at optimizing. Yeah, so we're talking about email first. Um, I'm a big fan of email not just because I work at Mailshake and we're an email software, uh, but it is the most scalable channel and you can do a lot with it. Um, but when you're thinking about uh, creating a sequence, the first thing you have to look at, and a lot of people say open rates are a vanity metric, but in reality, if your emails aren't showing up in people's inboxes and you're not building that first three seconds of trust to where they want to open the email, then everything else you're writing is just a waste of time. So I would say, and this is very dependent on the industry you're in and who you're prospecting, but try to aim for 50%. If you aren't hitting that, Tweak the subject line, tweak the opening line, and work on your email deliverability. Subbiter has done a ton of shows on email deliverability, so I'm sure you can find the recordings or just DM me. I can share more stuff. But uh, improving those three things before you even think about reply rates and booking rate is super important. Um, the second thing is reply rates. You should be aiming for at least 5%. Uh, and if you aren't hitting that, optimize your offer, your call to action. Um, if you're writing just a clean email sequence that's short, um, that doesn't have a bunch of fluff in it, you should be able to get 1% to 2% reply rates from those people that are always in the market and opening and learning more, right? Because when you prospect people, eventually you're going to find that needle in the haystack. But if you're getting to 5%, that means your offer is actually relevant and you're cutting through to more people than just the ones who are already in the market for your software that you just happen to run into, right? So optimize the offer like we just talked about. Try to come up with different creative call to actions um, and just make the problem that you're solving much more clear. Try to like write it in a more sufficient way shorter and more clear. And then the last piece is your booking rate. So when I say booking rate, and this wildly varies depending if you sell enterprise or SMB. So 2% is just kind of a number based on what I like to see. But for example, if you upload 100 prospects into a sequence, are you booking at least two meetings from that? And if you don't know this number, you need to start looking at this because you want to get to a point where you're testing and testing. And then you want to get to a point where I know that anytime I have 100 prospects, I can at least get X meetings from it. And if you don't know that number, you need to go in your sequences and figure that out to understand what your benchmark is now and how to get to that, you know, 2%, whatever that percentage is for you. So those are the three metrics I always try to keep an eye on. So um, when we're thinking about that booking rate, are you looking from the people who were added in or the people who re responded? Uh, just all the people that are added in. So I put them on for the sequence. How many meetings am I getting as a result of that? Beautiful. 
Um, if you want to head over to the Q&A section, everyone who's who's joined us today, you can upvote other people's questions if you want to see them answered. There's a little thumbs up under the questions. If you also have that question, you can thumbs up it and we will answer in order here. Um, but Jed, anything else when it comes to outbound sequences that you really want to make sure that we cover before we go hit up the Q&A? Um, yeah, I'll answer this quick question because this is something I wanted to cover from from Wes, actually. Um, I guess everybody else can't see it because Wes had sent it to just the hosts and panelists. Oh, yeah. Just for everybody else who, because they can't see the chat, what he's saying is, uh, what's your take on personalizing an email on the account level versus the personal level? I think there's a really simple answer to this. Um, and it, it, it comes from prospecting above the line and below the line. So if you're prospecting below the line, uh, like, for example, managers and things of that nature, prospect a little bit more on the personal level because they're not as in tune with the company-wide problems, things of that nature. They're more concerned about their own team, getting that next promotion, getting that next paycheck, right? If you're prospecting above the line, um, I find a lot more success prospecting, ba personalizing based on the account level. So what's actually happening in the company? Are they releasing any new product lines? Um, are they growing in any specific departments? What other buying triggers can I find on the account? Um, so if it's above the line, director, VP, executive, um, that's you know typically account level and then below the line it's it's more so personal level so that's I, I guess that's the main thing i would say in terms of sequences and wes had a good question on that um yeah i don't know leslie i mean there, we could go on and on about sequences i know we have a 30 minute call uh i feel like we covered a lot we can get into the q a but um yeah. I don't know, anything else let me know no there has been a lot um okay let's jump into q a yeah mark asked about and i'm thinking that this is a comment on um your approach there uh with how many times you're reaching out to somebody before you do that step where you're um doing the pulse check to see if they're engaged mark says moving prospects out so early what's your rationale linkedin states it can take 10 to 11 touches to engage with a prospect and then curious if there might be a difference between north america and EMEA in terms of this quick thoughts on that yeah, so North American EMEA, to be honest, Mark, I haven't spent too much time prospecting EMEA, so I don't want to give advice that I don't have there. But what I can say to the 10 to 11 touches, I've seen this data, I've seen it as high as like 15 to 19 touches as well. Yeah, I uh, That's the thing about data is that it all depends on your own company and what you actually see work. And what I was seeing is that when we get halfway through a sequence, nobody's open a single email, nobody's answered a phone call. We are just not booking that prospect. And the amount of time that my SDRs are taking on calling them and following up on them is not worth it for the minimal conversion rate we see. So for that reason, that's why we swap them out. Now, we don't get rid of them forever. They kind of go into like a nurture bucket where we'll re-engage them two to three months later, put them in a new sequence of new messaging. Um, but that's the reason why uh, we take them out earlier and then we continue to follow up for those 10, 12 plus touches with the people who are engaging. And I think you mentioned you, you'll you swap them out with another contact in the same organization, right? Yeah, we're not giving up on the organization. We're, we're just swapping them out and finding somebody who's more likely to engage because some people just don't answer emails. Some people don't answer their calls. And there are stubborn prospects who don't answer anything. Like no matter the best person prospector in the world can't get meetings with certain people. And sometimes that's just the case. Yeah. Okay. Abdel Rahman, what exactly to write in the second and third email? Just a quick, like, what would you give us a snapshot of your second or third email copy. Yeah. So like first email is obviously like the problem you should solve. Second email is more context and how you solve that problem. I love using an image. And then third email might be a valuable resource around how they can start to solve that problem for free with no uh, ask or call to action. 
Wonderful. Daniel asks, how do you personalize the sequence better? Do you focus on industry role? I know you talked about above and below the line and how you personalize, but is there anything else that you do to get through to them? Yeah. So I like to structure my sequences based on above the line and below the line. That's pretty much it. Um, and then focus on one like specific persona. So if you sell to sales and marketing folks, you have four sequences. You have sales above the line, sales below the line, and then you have marketing above the line, marketing below the line. And that's pretty much it. Don't overcomplicate it because when you have a ton of sequences, it gets out of hand and it's hard to actually track the data. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm personalizing based on the problems that that specific persona cares about. Beautiful. We're just going rapid fire here. Mark, again, how do you keep tabs on your data? Do you use some sort of tool, outreach? I use Mailshake, shameless plug. <laughs> um, there's plenty of sales engagement tools and I think they all, you know, they all do some sort of data tracking. So uh, yeah, I have at least like once a week, I'm going through and just checking the data and making sure things are up to date. Um, but yeah, that's, I use, I use Mailshake. Yeah. Whole bunch of options, but um, like going back and looking, you say once a week, I know that's something that we've talked about previously too, like figuring out what a good cadence is for you to make changes and check data. Yeah. Like on the last show, we talked about how often are you updating your, your email templates? And I kind of admitted, I probably need to do this more because I'm going like once a month and updating things. Because if you don't update your email templates, then the algorithm catches on. You start going to spam if the email, same email template goes out too much. Um, but I'm checking data like at least once a week, but then updating email copy like like once a month. Okay. We've talked a lot about email, but outbound also includes calls. An anonymous attendee asks, how do you adjust your flow or subject lines to increase answer rates on cold calls? Any thoughts on that? How do you adjust your flow or lines to increase answer rates on, on cold calls? That's interesting. Um, so I guess they're asking like, how do you adjust this subject lines, so they're more familiar and they pick up your cold calls. I guess I'm not entirely sure if I know how to answer that question because um, like when I'm cold calling, my we talked about earlier, my biggest goal is to get the highest number of open rates so that people are more familiar when I call. Right. I guess one thing I do to answer this question, I'm not sure if I'm answering it in the best way they wanted me to, but I do focus primarily on people who are engaging the most. So within sales engagement tool, Mailshake, and I'm pretty sure most of them can do this, I have rules set up to where if they open an email three plus times, they're getting prioritized for a call, an extra call, an extra follow-up on LinkedIn. So, and then when I'm starting a call block, I always start with who's the most engaged and make my way down to who's the least engaged, or in other words, you know, opening and clicking my emails the least. I think too, it like the way that you include LinkedIn and your steps so frequently, it's more opportunities for them to see your face and your name, right? That's that awareness of who you are and why you're calling. Yeah, exactly. And, and one thing we didn't touch on um, that we did on the other show before is that like anytime I'm doing an activity, I'm doing one or two as well at the same time. It's like, Leslie, if I'm prospecting you, you got three notifications on your on your phone that I emailed you, left you a voicemail and sent a connection request on LinkedIn so that you're just like three times more likely to be familiar with me when I reach back out. Yeah. Um, I do want to do, Maria, if you don't mind dropping Jed's course one more time, if you didn't catch the link before, we're going to stick it in the chat. Um, so that you can grab the course, but also the free resource, Jed's seven. It, it's a full on template, right? For each of yeah. these different emails and when you're using them. Yeah, it's a full cor video course that we filmed in a studio where you can learn yeah. how to sequence from scratch. And then you're also getting the seven email templates that you can plug into your sequence as well. So it should be cool. So magical. Okay. Uh, I mean, one last very important question. 
David wants to know what it's like being the most handsome influencer on LinkedIn. I, mean, I would have thought that was James Buckley who asked that. He's always saying that. <laughs> me like the hair toss for everyone. Um, yeah. And I one that I really want to hear your thoughts on. Thoughts on adding your meeting link to your email signature. Hot take, Jed. Here we go. Uh, I would say test it out because I was a huge fan of not doing it. Minimal on links. But if you're doing all the other things right in terms of deliverability and you're finding that people are actually like, that's the biggest thing. Are people actually clicking on your links when you're doing, you're getting beings from it. Then you have to weigh the benefits of like, okay, I have a slowly, slightly lower deliverability rate. As long as I'm doing everything else right, I can probably live with it. And then if I'm actually getting meetings from people clicking on the link, then you're in good shape. So it's yeah. something and we actually do it a little bit as well. AB test everything. Jed, thank you so much for sharing everything with us. I got a couple questions of where you could get those templates that we just talked about. When you register for Jed's course, you'll get an email that will come to you with the seven templates. But thank you so much for all of you for joining us today as well. Again, we're here every single day, sellbetter.xyz. Tomorrow, James Buckley will be back chatting about um, some additional cold uh, calling techniques. So make sure to tune in there and we'll see y'all later. Take care, everybody. They're on.